Welcome to Shared Ground, where we meet to explore the lands of Eastern Canada, Mi'kma'ki, and our human relationships to the rest of nature. We talk about ecology, conservation, forestry, community, and many interconnected issues. One of the main purposes of this podcast is to hear opinions and ideas from many different people. Nothing presented here is intended as the final word. Each perspective will hopefully lead to a better understanding of a bigger picture. Shared Ground episodes come out every other Tuesday. Subscribe from the website at sharedground.captivate.fm or on your chosen podcast app, so they come directly to you each time one is released. I am Amanda Bostland, and I am in search of ideas, practices, and attitudes that offer mutual benefit for humans and all species for whom these lands are home. I believe in the importance of finding shared ground, where as humans we can live well and meet our needs while contributing to thriving forests and the well-being of all the incredible life we share this planet with. I spent this summer solstice at the Last Hope Camp, located by Beals Brook in Keswickwicht, on the unceded and ancestral territory of the Mi'kmaq people. Many people have been protecting this small forested area from logging through direct action. A special celebration was happening at Last Hope Camp for a few reasons, to mark the solstice, Indigenous Peoples Day in Canada, and a victory for the protection of this forest. The event began with a long and inspiring talking circle on the afternoon of June 21st. There was also an extremely delicious potluck, a fire, a beautiful rainbow, lots of laughter and cheer, and of course birdsong. The stars and fireflies joined us after dark. The following day, a group of about 10 of us took down the camp, which had become quite a little village enabling all the basic human needs to be met during the six months they spent there. In the morning of the 22nd, forest protector Nina Newington walked up the hill where cell service is more reliable to do an interview with CBC's Information Morning. Those of us who camped overnight gathered around a car radio below at camp, excited for what had been accomplished with the help and involvement of so many people. A little background. Folks from Extinction Rebellion and others have been based in this forest since last December to protect it from being logged. Due to the at-risk species of lichen they found, the majority of the forest is now off-bounds to logging, and they have decided it is time to remove the camp and transition their efforts to a broader Last Hope campaign. While I was there, I was able to talk to many people who have been involved in the camp in various capacities and to learn from each of them how the experience has affected them. I found it very heartwarming and inspiring to hear people's reflections about their involvement. I asked two questions related to this, and you will hear people's responses in this audio compilation, where we will go back and forth between the evening celebration and the following day a little bit. Afterwards, you will hear a call I had with Nina Newington for a short update on what is happening moving forward. But to start with, I want to play a few minutes of a chat some of us had over breakfast the morning after the celebration about some of the highlights of our time spent at the Last Hope Camp and some of what folks enjoyed. I love getting up in the morning these days when it's warm-ish and turning on the kettle and then listening to the birds and then using the Merlin app on my phone and learning how to identify some of them and by then the kettle is boiled and I'm making coffee and I go back to my tent and sit in my little sleeping bag and drink my coffee and listen to the birds outside the tent and that is just blissful as far as I'm concerned. I liked getting snowed in. 
Mm-hmm. I, I thought that I was a great that adventure. I could see that that would be kind of, yeah. as long as you had plenty of wood and something yeah. and water. We had terrific food. Uh, we had wonderful conversation, good yeah. people working together. Yeah. And it was an adventure. And it's like, I can't go home. I can't go to work. I'm here. <laughs> that is what I'm doing. Yeah. Like, if there's ever anything that makes you be here and now and present, it's being snowed in however many kilometers on the logging road that yeah. you can't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't yeah. get out. You were here. Yeah, I liked it. Or experiencing a major windstorm with good company. (laughs) That was quite the storm. (laughs) Oh, you were here for that? Yes. Yeah, Amanda and I were in that, that and it was loud. Was it? It was fun. Did you feel like it might lift up and go away? Yeah, at the time it just felt like it had moved a bit, but (laughs) it held really well. Yeah, great tent. Well, I was at home in my comfortable house during that windstorm, <laughs> thinking about you here at the camp and just wondering how things were holding together. Mm-hmm. What amazes me is that that aged prospector's tent, which we put up, like, having me having watched half of the YouTube interview on how to erect a wall tent for mule, deer, and elk hunting, and David attempting to do it by instruction over the phone. It stood up through all of those windstorms right. just perfectly. Yeah. It's an amazing tent and it's it, so beautiful. It is. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely the cutest tent. It is. Know. It was fun. Yes. Yeah. It was hard work, but it was really fun. It was really it had this really fun edge and it was this act of resistance and we won. Yeah, it was empowering. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I, I think it really set a, a new a new benchmark for other people in the province to say, well, you know, they did this. Mm, yeah, right. You know, maybe in over in this county we can do this. I mm-hmm. think really, I think a new benchmark has been set here. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That there's that we can have these acts of uh, acts of resistance without getting arrested, without um, without coming across as, you know. Radicals, not, not that there's anything wrong with being radical, <laughs> but the general public, I think, um, yeah. got a very positive message from all of this. You know, from the, the you know, thinking about, um, you know, what's in here that needs to be protected, and then digging deep into the lichens and digging deep into mm-hmm. the wildlife. Right. And, you know, it's like, it was just a really great act of resistance. And we're in a position to educate others as well. They, they want to know how do we set this up. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I thought of something I would like to talk about, and it's about swimming in Beals Brook. Oh, so wow. I love swimming. So Nina and Janet and I have found little little dips in the brook where we can dip in but then Nina found the mother load out in the woods and there's two big ponds out in the woods and I had one of my very best swims out there about two weeks ago. Wow. I would like to say that as with every camp it's about attitude and I feel that at this camp everybody was uh, really positive and we needed it. And it was very supportive, and I, I don't think you could have a successful encampment like we had without the support, but mainly the attitude to that support mm. and to everybody involved. Thank you, everyone. Mm-hmm. Well said. i like to add just a little bit. I came yesterday and was part of the talking circle, and as a Mi'kmaq person here, I'm just very grateful for everybody for caring for their land and caring 
uh, I'm just grateful. Thank you. Thank you all for being part of this. Now, you will hear various people responding to a question about how their involvement at Last Hope Camp affected them. You may hear some familiar voices, as well as sounds of the forest, the festivities, and the fire crackling. The first person we hear from is one of the citizen scientists who discovered some of the at-risk species of lichens that will help to protect this forest. So I guess what I'd like to know is how being involved in the Last Hope Camp has affected you. I made me cry. <laughs> um, well, it has given me uh, a new purpose, and, and I feel like I've found my retirement niche uh, because I was sort of, you know, looking for something and not really feeling like I, I was um, doing the thing that I was supposed to be doing because I didn't know what it was. Uh, and coming out here and meeting everyone <clears throat> and being able to share my uh, knowledge and passion of the woods as and and seeing it help um is been very rewarding and uh and just being around so many incredible knowledgeable inspiring dedicated people has given me you know that uh, oomph to to keep going and and do more and instead of just sitting home and feeling helpless and hopeless because you know sometimes that's how I felt that there wasn't anything that I could do to, as one individual and now I know that's not true <laughs> there's lots I can do and so yeah it's been very empowering to me how has this experience being involved with last hope camp affected you well um, I would say it has given me an extra boot to want to go in and look at proposed harvest areas to see if there is anything um, because they did prove that there were species at risk here. Um, it's given me endless admiration for Nina. <laughs> endless. Because without her drive, I don't think it would have... I mean, there, the group itself, the Extinction Rebellion, does do this kind of thing, but without her drive, I don't think it would have persisted the way it did. Um, so... Uh, I have endless admiration for her. And I don't remember what your question was. Yeah, well, you're answering it, <laughs> I think. Um, yeah, how has your experience here affected you? Oh, and it was just such fun to meet people who were keen and interested, but not um, rabid, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that's struck me by this whole effort. Right. Is yeah. that they were determined and informed, but not rabid. Right, and a really welcoming kind of diverse yes. group of people. Yes, yes, very much so. And not confrontational in the sense that anyone who came up and wanted to know what was going on was, was given a calm and rational description of why they were here mm. instead of... Uh, short word answers and can't, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I just really think they're admirable for that. Hmm. Yeah, how have you been affected by your experience with this Last Hope Camp? Well, my perspective has really changed from a capitalist point of view to a naturalist point of view. Uh, I still believe in sustainable forestry, but I think the time has come that we have to start teaching our children 
not from the ground level up, is what sustainable forestry means and how when we do harvest, we have to consider all aspects of nature, not of the money value, you know. And the money value that they sent, you know, is a lot of the foresters, they're just trying to make a living. Uh, but a lot of that money that's generated goes to financial institutions who are basically financing the machines. The poor operator, he's just making a living, you know, scratching for a living. Not taking in full consideration what the impact of what he's actually doing. He sees the woods, but he doesn't really see the forest. We're just depleting our resource and selling ourselves short. We've been doing that and doing that. So, uh, from my perspective, uh, within the last eight months, four seasons that I've been involved, uh, when I see friends, you know, people that I come to know and became friends with, and some of them are going on to start teaching at the preschool level up until uh, junior high level, yeah. yeah. There is hope, you know. But greed is a powerful evil, and we have to continue on. And, and you had a major change of heart. You always loved being in the woods. Yeah. But but now you say you look at things differently oh, and you yes. care more about like what what helped what would cause that change do you think? Learning the value of it. Uh, learning the different aspects of uh, you know and, and it's not just since I've been here, you know, in over a period of time like I, I talked to the biologist, I said, Why is this wildlife corridor being used by some species? more than there was before. He said, because they're funneling into that. He said, if you fly over west, southwest Nova, you know, it's just basic survival for them. He, he says, yeah, that's why we're having wildlife movement in the royal areas. The food source is gone in the forest. You know, the sea trees are gone. Yeah. yeah. Wow, okay, so you noticed a big difference on the ground here. Oh, yeah, and the ground level, too. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Okay, thanks very much. Well, you're welcome. How has this experience with the Last Hope Camp affected you? Well, I think it has brought some hope back. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, to build on that word, last hope. I think for myself and other people I've spoken to, it feels like there's been a little bit of a resurgence and, you know, we can make a difference. We can be impactful. We we can um, stand up for what we believe in and not get discouraged and, you know, be in despair. So um, this has been a really uh, interesting um, uh, uh, opportunity for me to... Um, to find other people I haven't worked with before or met before or even, you know, met on a social basis. Um, so, yeah, I think it really um, helps us, people who are thinking about how we can be impactful. Uh, Last Hope has given us an opportunity to come together, meet each other. And um, uh, for me, um, I, I have a group of people that I hang with 
in Pictou County, like a book club that I I couldn't go to last night because I was here. But I told this group of 10 women who know probably most people in Pictou County, if you think of their connections and their relatives, um, I was saying I'm coming to Last Hope to celebrate what was accomplished, and I gave a little background of the lichen find and the, the fact that it looks very promising that West Fork won't cut and uh, and that the next day we're going to be dismantling. So giving uh, those people uh, this opportunity to know about what was going on, you know, I think it gives them hope. You know, it kind of, it, you know, once it's like a wave, it, it just keeps moving and and then people aren't so discouraged. So I think this is what Last Hope And the the title is so ironic because it's given us hope. How has this experience with the Last Hope Camp affected you? In a positive way. um, I really appreciated the sense of community. And I've I've met a lot of good people, a lot of uh, people who've come to camp who I will keep relationships going. And that that is... uh, to me, that's key in keeping this camp going this long is, is, is the people and our determination and feeling like we're working together towards uh, saving this camp uh, in, in a positive way with perhaps saving this forest with what all the work that, we've, that has been done in here, all the um, uh, studies that have taken place in here with the endangered species. It, it's been a great experience and... I, I just am the type of person to want to be on the grounds and not writing letters. I, I, I it's not my thing, but I, I, I'm a camper myself. My background's outdoor education. I'm an educator, and I spend a lot of time in the outdoors with school children, and, and I, uh, I love it. And whatever part I can take being here is, is really important to me. Mm-hmm. It's rewarding, fulfilling. And there's a hermit thrush. Okay, I was just going to ask. Hermit Piping thrush. up. <laughs> like anywhere else in Nova Scotia, it's uh, sacred ground. And uh, we should just walk lightly. Mm-hmm. Anywhere we are in the earth, for sure. Yeah, yeah so um, how has being involved in the Last Hope camp uh, affected you? Well, for me, it's, you know, I grew up in the woods. I, I always was in the woods, and we owned a lot of woodlot, and we used to manage our woodlot very wisely. You know, we never clear-cut anything. And then I moved to Porter's Lake, Nova Scotia, and all around me were clear-cuts. And there was this attitude that, oh, don't worry about it. It's just like a field. You know, we'll cut it, and it'll grow back, and for 30 or 40 years, we'll cut it again, and it'll grow back again, and that's just the way it works. And then I started to observe that, no, that's, that's not right. And then in my my time of traveling, I actually flew with a number of foresters between Halifax and Toronto and talked to these guys. And these guys had worked, gone to UNB Fredericton, different forestry schools, worked in industry and worked in government and said, no, this is wrong. Like these models are completely wrong. We're destroying the forests. We're destroying the land. We have very little soil in areas like Nova Scotia. We have a lot of acidic soil. We're taking away the organic matters, and our, so our, for our forests simply are not going to keep regenerating if we keep doing what we're doing. 
And then through my years of traveling, I just witnessed so much deforestation and destruction in the areas that I've traveled all over the U.S. So for me, the camp was an opportunity to, in some small way, you know, raise awareness, change things, try to get people to listen. And it's, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating because... I talk to people, even around me, friends and associates, and they go, oh, yeah, it's great that you're doing that, but, like, you know, that kind of a waste of time, isn't it? Like, do you really think you can change anything? They don't even want to address the forestry issue, you know? Well, we hear that it's okay what we're doing. We hear that this is some form of ecological forestry. We hear that clear-cutting is really not a bad thing, that the trees will just regrow. I've heard that so many times. Hmm. Oh, don't worry about it. They'll just regrow. You know, trees grow. So... The camp has been really positive just being with these people who are like-minded, open-minded, and really want to help change things. So it's been supportive for me. So how has being involved in the Last Hope camp affected you? Well, I go back further than that. I go back to Rocky Point. I was there at both camps there, and I was at the No Spray in Stewiak. So this was just like another episode. So maybe, like, should I answer the question, how has this whole experience impacted me? Because that would be easier to answer. Yeah. Um, uh, I've become more radical in my thinking. Um, I never imagined that I would be one of those crazy people out there blockading a logging road. <laughs> I was always um, an environmentalist, a nature lover, an animal lover, you know, the, the whole shebang. Um, but I was always writing letters or signing petitions or uh, demonstrating. And... I realized that that wasn't working. It, it wasn't... I, I, will, I wanted to think it was working. I think sometimes it does. I shouldn't talk in, in, in absolutes. A lot of it's been a learning experience on, on how um, the government um, bows to industry, um, answers to them, uh, and ignores the people that voted them in and paying their salaries. I was raised to believe as a good citizen, you write a letter to your representative, your MLA, they will answer you. You can call them, you can talk with them. And those days are gone. So the only option left, it seems to me, was to put my body in the way. So now that this is coming to an end, I'm I'm a little melancholy, but I know the work is not done. We'll, we'll be back. We'll be somewhere else. You know, we're declaring a victory here, as you probably know. Um, wherever we go next, I'll be there. <laughs> Just, yeah. I am a firm believer that no action is worthless, that everything... If you do it with the right intentions, it will eventually bear fruit. It's just that it's glacial slowness, especially in the beginning. I answered this question, too. Here is my response. Yeah, it was inspiring to connect with people in a way 
where we had wonderful conversations, um, trying to figure out like what's going on and what can we do, and to not feel like I was in that alone. And for me, I guess being able to contribute to that in a small way and feel like I was part of something so much bigger than what I would be able to uh, do on my own, um, practically speaking, like energy and time and resources, but also just, you know, well, resources of motivation and energy and ability to keep my morale up, inspiration and hope. So contributing to the whole where so many people were doing various things and actually through camping up at Last Hope Camp, you know, I had this already had this interest in audio and capturing people's ideas and thoughts and philosophies and trying to figure out like, yeah, what what is the common ground in this whole, you know, these forestry conundrum that we have in this province right now. And um, and then collecting this audio of these like very thoughtful and wise people who are not necessarily, you know, considered experts, um, but who have a lot to offer the world. And that's kind of, I guess, what led me to start this podcast. So that was one way it affected me for sure. And and just a feeling of, yeah, yeah, I guess anytime one gets a chance to spend time connecting to the land, being outdoors, all the wonderful feast for the senses and feeling calm and grounded and being able to do that with other people who also recognize or feel the importance of that and the human company um, that came from that was really meaningful to me. The other question I asked folks was about a particular time spent at the camp when they felt a sense of connection or inspiration. I will start this one off. My second overnight at Last Hope Camp was in late winter during a very strong windstorm for which the county had put out wind warnings. You heard mention of that weekend during the group chat. I was camped out in the prospector's tent with a woman who I had not met before and having the whole time to get to know each other and talk deeply about matters of importance to us and to have the luxury of all that focused time to share and learn was really special to me. We shared lots of laughs too. Some of it was nervous laughter, as it was scary at times to be there while the winds howled and the tent flapped and shook, but together it felt like an adventure and we shared a feeling of responsibility to be holding down the fort and a gladness to be able to do so. I also felt a sense of safety and well-being with this wonderful woman who had been an unknown stranger to me just the day before. So that's my reflection. The next voice you'll hear in this compilation segment is the person who I spent that windstorm with. This recording was taken the day after a celebration during Camp Teardown, so you might notice the odd construction noise in the background. Well, I think Nina does such an amazing job at being a public voice and uh, being uh, being able to articulate in such a wonderful way uh, this morning on the CBC. Uh, I mean, we were just, you were in the car too, and we were just around and we were all saying, yes, 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 you know, she got it, she nailed it. Um, so that was really, I think, a highlight for me. 
is is that summing up in such a good way in in in, in a public broadcast to hear that um, uh, that was I think that was a highlight for me. Oh, yeah, the grand finale. Highlight. It was. It was oh. like boom, like and uh, yeah, we've done this together, and she's yeah. telling the world in such a good way. That's correct. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So I, that that was a pretty big highlight to just have that have that very articulate uh, voice that Nina can do so well mm-hmm. uh, and um, that represents all of all, all of our voices yeah, yeah. Awesome. okay <laughs> thank you so much oh yeah um, is there a particular moment you could uh, describe to me that I don't know gave you a sense of inspiration or or connectedness or hope from any of your times here mm-hmm. It, it was a gradual build-up of, of uh, gaining as more of a sense of hope. As It was when lycanologists come in and when out people came to not just bring food, which was great, and water and wood, firewood, but they came in to look at the woods and, and say, oh, yeah, this is here and this is here and this is endangered and uh, we need that knowledge and... and, and to me, I, I felt supported, and and, and that was at the, that was a turning point, and that was back in March. There there were some troubling times in terms of uh, can we keep this going, uh, this camp going, and just when you start to get feeling a you know slightly like what are we doing here, and who's listening, and can we get media attention, then all of a sudden. Somebody shows up to lift your spirits and say, "We're doing this and we're doing that." So, a documentary and and uh, looking for endangered species and just seeing people care—it's tremendous. Because for a long time it was us, and and we we'd hope people were writing and and. Uh, and when you say us, like just a few people at the beginning. Kind yeah, of. the regular campers, the ones who say, "I'll come for two nights," or "I can come for three, and mm-hmm. and then Nina and I and Kevin were exchanging longer chunks of time because we're in a better position um, to do that. But I just, yeah, I always felt that it would be saved, but over time it just seemed to get reinforced with with the work that carried on here Mm -hmm. and that will continue to be carried on and the workshops we've done so far and just getting, gaining attention and people, more and more people noticing and from further afield too. Yeah. I see BC and Nanaimo uh, Extinction Rebellion putting, uh, liking some of the posts in um, New Brunswick, uh, somewhere in the States. Wow. Extinction Rebellion, American just recently, I forget where. But my goal it was to, being an educator, to, and it still is, to go around and say, this is how it works, this is what we did. If we can be a role model for others to say, well, we're going to camp, we can do that. And there has been a couple of... Uh, groups started up to protect different areas that are asking questions and what worked for you and whatnot. So that in the province, just my goal is the masses waking up and seeing what needs to be, you know, like what's going on? What they spray the forest? Why? Why do they do that? And I didn't know that. And just learning, you know, people becoming aware and get involved and maybe come out to the encampment. I had friends in a hiking group who who came out and supported and stayed two nights each, mm-hmm. and and uh, they you know now I can write to them and say oh you you need to come out we're having 
some kind of celebration and I, I we don't just talk about where we're going to hike now we talk about wow look at that tree and, and so I'm always encouraging uh, and that you know what where we where will we hike you want to hike in a clear cut if you don't then come on out <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> more or less so uh-huh. is there a specific moment where you felt kind of a sense of connection or inspiration i would say it was the first day here um, when uh, francis anderson was giving the lichen workshop and um, because I've been interested in lichens and I had her book and I'd been sort of stumbling along on my own and, and enjoying it but not feeling like I was learning a whole lot and and so being here with Francis and all these other people who were interested in the same thing and then we went out and I actually found a rare lichen on that day and so yeah it was you know the beginnings here and then out there in the woods uh, was sort of over the top <laughs> yeah so you found one of the 17 did, sightings I of the did, rare lichens yes. here or you and found more than one maybe. I did find more than one oh, oh not on that day but mm-hmm. I've been back uh, numerous times and I've found a couple more so yeah. yeah and and maybe you didn't realize how much you knew in relation to, to other people at that point well exactly I'm, I'm just wondering because I met you that day yes. and I remember you were distinguishing a few different lichens that looked the same to me and you showed me some really interesting ways to tell them apart right explaining how they grew and all these things and yeah 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 it was it was interesting and because Nina had asked me if I would do you know maybe a, a plant workshop sometime and I was like well I don't really know a lot you know I mean I just know the basics and then as we'd be going through the woods you know I'd say oh yeah this is that and somebody say what's this and I was like oh that's a hobble bush and you know and after a while I got thinking well I actually maybe know more than I think I know <laughs> you know it's just sort of come slowly to me over the years but it's 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 accumulated you know and sometimes it doesn't always stay up there but uh, it's it's uh, I, it makes me feel, feel connected, you know, to um, the woods, and I'm always curious, you know, like I, I, I can't not wonder, well, what is this, or why is it growing here, and why is it only under this tree, you know, and that sort of thing, so it's, yeah, there's, it's, I just, I find it fun and exciting to be out in the woods and learning, yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah, <laughs> especially seeing things that I've seen all my life mm-hmm. and not really known what they were, yeah. you know, so it's, yeah. I get inspired, you know, when somebody's talking and I, I'm quite often nodding my head a lot when I'm among these people because they're kindred spirits. Well, one night I was here, I guess, just okay. Nina and I working on some projects and just to talk to Nina and understand how dedicated she is to this cause to me was hugely inspiring and I never had that opportunity to spend time with Nina before but just the two of us here setting up this tent actually working on this oh can you describe this tent the tent yeah I guess it's just an old um, what outside frame prospectors tent that's had probably a kind of a rough life but it's been it's been Nina's retreat yeah it's been her home for for months out here yeah yeah and that's actually donated the wood stove for it to keep Nina nice and warm Oh, great. And yeah, so Nina has been extremely inspirational mm-hmm. and supportive. 
I think most Nova Scotians, you know, should be actually really appreciative of what Nina is doing, mm-hmm. you know, because we need more people like Nina to stand their ground and yeah. to not back down despite huge challenges. That's right, yeah, and yeah. she's doing this for the good of, of all the people too, yeah. not just the creatures and the forest Absolutely. itself. But... Absolutely. And now, let's hear from the remarkable Nina Newington again. A couple of weeks after the last Hope Camp celebration, I called Nina to ask her these same reflection questions and to get an update on the Last Hope campaign and learn a little bit more about their declaring a win for the protection of this forest. I called her from the coast, and you may notice the odd non-forest sound in the background. Hello. Hi, Nina. To start off, you'll hear about how her involvement in the protection of the camp affected her. So, yeah, the involvement with the camp, um, it left me actually very cheerful because we were we were able to do it you know it was it was a kind of remarkable long haul over six months of, of camping but people kept stepping up you know whether it was in the depths of winter when it was really hard to get in or out or during black fly season or when the weather got nice and people wanted to be home with their gardens and the people who came out to camp which was you know about 45 46 People camped in another, well, well north of 60 came to visit the camp. Everyone did it out of care for the forest, you know, out of, out of love for nature and the desire to protect. And it was a very um, kind of peaceful and respectful way of being with each other. And that, that also is wonderful, you know, that, that when you take these actions, it gives you a chance to make real personal connections with people. You get to be at camp and cook together and to talk and, you know, shovel snow or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, that part of it was very sustaining. Um, I was pretty tired by the end. Yeah, I think yeah. I've slept quite a lot in the, <laughs> in the couple of weeks since, just because there's so many different, you know, there's, there's sort of practical stuff and logistics and trying to articulate what we're doing and respond to what's happening. Um, I'm just curious. I didn't even ask you how you're feeling, like how your time has been since since you had a chance to uh, step back a little bit from this major endeavor. Um, it's actually been quite wonderful to be home. Oh, good. I, I have a large, unruly, wild, and sort of extravagant garden of flowers and, you know, a slightly more orderly vegetable garden. Uh, and I, it's just been a, it has been a joy to be home, not to be going back and forth between two places. And it certainly has been a pleasure to have less messages to respond to, you know, less mm. of the kind of more detail. Um, but at the same time, I don't feel uh, like I've walked away from that forest. You know, I'm waiting for an increment borer to come in so that we can go and age some of the trees in the area that hasn't yet been protected um, and we're planning you know a workshop to help people learn to use Avenza which is a very helpful navigation app so you know it's it's more that the pace of it has has chilled out but I did take about 10 days of just not really doing any of that I'm really glad um, to hear that you had a good reset refresh I think the other thing that was really well, there were a couple of things that were terrific. One was the building of the relationship with the district chief of Gethwick, with the 
that was that felt really great, you know, to be invited to be on territory, to be thanked for doing what we're doing, and also, you know, really to be told, hey, you can't leave protecting nature to indigenous groups. We need settlers also to step up and be on the front lines and take direct action when it's when it's called for. So that felt really really good. Mm-hmm. And the other sort of alliance building was really connecting more with naturalists with really deep expertise and knowledge about whether it's species of risk birds or lichens or tree identification or soil chemistry. Um, the camp kind of became a place for people to come and some of those folks started camping over. So, you know, we, we made a decision to start teaching workshops so that we could expand the skills that we had and other people had that we might need to protect areas. And that was that was fabulous. And and it resulted really in in us being able to declare a win and have sixty percent of the forest protected by the 100 meter buffers around the lichens. I mean, we identified 10 of the 17. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, that was lots of effort. It was, it was a lot of time spent in the woods uh, studying tree trucks. But, you know, you also get a lot back from being willing to do those things. The, the kind of deeper connection with those woods and that place. Yeah, it was, it was really fantastic when we realized that by finding so many of these species of risk lichens, we were now able to take 60% of that forest completely out of reach of any cutting and also make it much harder to access the remaining 40% and much less economical. So, you know, by taking action, by going out and camping for that time, by engaging as many people as we did, we protected the forest that we set out to protect. But we also really helped people see that you can take action, you can make a difference. I think people feel a lot of despair. And although we have huge challenges, we also do have the ability to come together and to act and to demand of our government that it address the climate and nature crisis. While we wait for them to do that, however, we don't have to sit around in despair. We can get out and make a difference. I'm wondering if there's a specific moment that you can describe where you felt a sense of connection or inspiration through any of your times or experiences there. There were so many early mornings, you know, where coming out of the tent and the logging road and the brook were to the east. So just seeing the dawn come up and whether it was snowy or later the snow had melted and, you know, the peepers were deafening, the migratory birds returned. And I I do have a particular morning in mind, which was the morning when it was after the peepers had, you know, toned down a bit. And there was really a kind of contrapuntal act going on between a bullfrog and a hermit thrush. (laughs) (laughs) And it it was really... Marvelous, and it, it was delightful to listen to it just for the pleasure of listening, but also feel part of it, you know, to feel part of protecting the forest of that brush that comes back on a huge migration to the same area in the expectation there will be somewhere to nest. 
mm. and being a part of making sure that that's still true. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it's hard to, there are so many of those moments, but for me, I think that very often it was that moment of getting up and going and putting the kettle on to make coffee and just standing and looking and listening. So this last hope camp now, because you've designated this victory, you've protected at least 60% of the forest and hopefully all of it, you're ready to come back as necessary. But now the last hope camp has, is transitioning to this last hope campaign. And can you explain what that is, what you're hoping to do or, and how maybe how people might be involved if they wish? Yeah, I mean, one of the elements of the last hope camp was the government said, oh, well, this isn't, we're not planning to clear cut there. This is an ecological forestry prescription where, you know, the contract is only going to take 30% of the trees. And while that's better than clear cutting, um, what that whole situation really highlighted was there's been no planning on which areas should be cut at all and which ones shouldn't. And you really can't call it ecological forestry if you haven't done the kind of landscape-level planning that Leahy called for. The government has committed to protecting 20% of Nova Scotia, but currently they seem to be in the business of cutting now and protecting later. Um, and we need that not to happen. So Last Hope stepped in and said, no, you can't just cut this. This is, this is a place that shouldn't be cut at all. It's surrounded by clear cuts for wildlife in the forest over eight years old. Um, so the campaign really builds on that and says this is actually true for the whole of the province, that plans are being put forward to cut areas that should be part of the protected area. Um, and people need to step up if the government isn't going to and say, we don't want you to cut. One of the ways for us to do that is to push for a kind of what you could call a coarse filter, which says you shouldn't be cutting any forest over 80 years old on crown land until, you know, a really proper survey and decision is made about which area is going to be protected. How people can be involved in that, and we'll be reaching out for people to make that particular push on the government, but also wherever someone lives, if there's a forest on crown land that they care about and want to be protected, it's really great to start organizing around that. And we're happy to talk with people about how you do that and share skills and connect people with the skills for doing things like going in and looking at what's there in that forest. Because one of the things that Last Hope really showed is the government isn't doing that. You know, they were told that this forest had species at risk, and that was part of why local residents were objecting to the cut. And they said, no, no, it's fine. Our biologists have reviewed it twice now, and there are no species at risk and nothing to worry about. So a part of Last Hope campaign will also be to support in whatever we, way we can people all about the public who want to put in proposals protect the areas that they care about. And some of the ways we might be able to do that is to point them in the direction of how to um, contact more expert information, how to do workshops, and so on. The real 
appeal is to make it very clear to the government that we're stepping up because they're not doing their jobs. You know, with last hope, they assured the residents who were objecting to the proposed cut that, no, no, our biologists have reviewed this twice. There's no species at risk to worry about here. And, you know, our camp and the people who came to it revealed really clearly that that was not true. Uh, and the government was sort of embarrassed and said, well, we don't really have enough experts, and even said maybe we should be educating citizen scientists, but they haven't really shown any sign of doing that. So mm. some of what we're doing is stepping up and saying, well, okay, let's do it. As you were talking at some point, I was thinking how interesting and, and neat it is that a lot of the things that you that ended up happening at Last Hope Camp and the way that you ultimately were able to protect that much of the forest um, hadn't been known from the beginning. Mm-hmm. That that things evolved and you figured out what was best as you went. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that is a really strong part of it. No, I, I feel really good about how the camp ended up working out. That we were able to protect 60% of the forest. And, you know, we started the camp because we didn't want the cutting to go ahead and because local residents had reached the end of what they could do by trying to contact the NR and working through the MLA, and they were just told, well, no, it's too late. And we've proved that it wasn't too late. It isn't too late. And that's a message for everybody. You know, we're full of despair and fear and, and should be about what's happening with the climate and nature crisis. But it also isn't too late to take action, to come together and do things. And we don't have to know how it's all going to work out. You know, we didn't know what the end was going to be of the camp. We responded to the situation and said, well, this is the next right thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to go and get in the way and see what happens. And I don't think any of us would have guessed that we'd be there through that whole long, unexpectedly brutal winter or really had an idea how it was going to end because we don't have that kind of control. And that's sort of true for all of us right now. We don't know how it's going to end, but it's worth starting Mm. and seeing where things go and following the leads and the help that come. And you can't guarantee anything, but if you don't do it, you can guarantee you won't be. Yeah. Um, So... That part just feels really great, you know, likens to the rescue. Who knew? Yeah, I love <laughs> it. I love that. But, you know, yeah. it, it could be something else another time. Somebody said to me, you know, when you're working with nature, you're working, you're playing on the big team, and eventually nature will win. That's an interesting point of view, that ultimately nature is much bigger and wilder and more mysterious and more powerful than any of us. It doesn't mean human beings aren't able to inflict terrible damage through ridiculous economics and structures. But when we when we understand that we're a part of nature and we act as a part of nature in the way that indigenous traditions teach, we begin to engage all sorts of forces and help. Um, and nature is mysterious. It's much more complex than we have the ability to to grasp. So the government has made this really significant 
commitment to protecting 20% of Nova Scotia's lands and waters by 2030. And that means they're going to add, need to add another 6 or 7%, and that's lots of land. It's 330,000 hectares at least, which is the size of three Tobiatic wildernesses. Um, and there isn't really, at this point, a kind of formal process, but... It is possible to put in a proposal to protect a particular area, and we did that back in January for not just the Bealsbrook Forest, but a much larger area surrounding it, which includes the place with very old forest that has not had roads put through it for a while. Um, and that's, you know, we don't know what's happening with that. Ideally, that parcel will be put under consideration for protection, at which point there would be a halt to harvesting and road building and development. Um, the government is really not saying anything, but that doesn't mean that we couldn't and shouldn't keep on putting forward proposals to protect areas and coming together with people who really know and love those areas, as we have with local people who hunted and fished and trekked through those areas for 50 years. The more of that kind of work we do, building up our own local areas of commitment to protect places, the better off we're going to be. Once you feel connected to an area, you're more willing to step up. So many good reasons to step up. I was struck in this episode by the kindness, camaraderie, and cooperation that can bring about great things what emerges when people are wanting to pitch in, take responsibility, and work together. The main takeaway that I would personally like to hold close is to align your actions with what you feel strongly about, to do what you love and what interests you, and that you can never know the unexpected places that may lead. To keep up with what is happening, or to get involved with Last Hope Campaign, you may like to follow the Facebook pages, which I will link to in the show notes, or send an email to xrns at riseup.net. I appreciate you listening to Shared Ground. Until next time, fellow humans.